everyone, and welcome to this week's On the Spot. I'm Zach Strickland, and with me, J.P. Hampstead. So I had the week off last week, sitting on a mountain, but yeah, good to be back. Uh, so what I miss, J.P.? Uh, well, it's, I mean, trucking freight markets have been pretty flat uh, since last week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it seems like uh, tender rejections are pretty range-bound. They kind of ticked up a little bit, uh, so about 5.76% of all contracted truckloads are being rejected by transportation providers, um, which is, is low. But, you know, it, it hasn't continued to go down week on week. Um, you know, we're in that we're in that kind of lull period still. We're still waiting for the market to turn up significantly, but we right, have right. had, you know, there's several outlying factors or outside factors that we're watching uh, right now, True. specifically yeah. across the ocean there in China with the uh, coronavirus and whatnot. Uh, I guess, you know, Amazon, it just came out this week that Amazon is starting to check on their, uh, you know, their sh- accounts, their shippers, to see right. if they're going to have some uh, freight available for, uh, or not freight, but products available for their uh, summer sales and all that kind of stuff. That's right. And we started to see, um, I mean, beyond just Amazon, I think about, um, there's a newsletter that came out today, a survey of U.S. firms with production facilities in China. Three quarters of them said they didn't have enough workers to resume operations. And that that came out today. Wow. Um, So that's still a huge issue. We've noticed, we've been getting, you know, sort of daily updates on all the blank sailings. um, A tremendous amount of of blank sailings. So far more than a normal Chinese New Year period, which should be over by now, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Tons of capacity removed off the lanes, uh, off, you know, both from China to Northern Europe, so Rotterdam, and also, in, in Antwerp, in, in China to the west coast of North America. Um, but that hasn't, the container lines haven't been able to remove enough capacity to stop a collapse in rates, um, both from China to the west coast, China to the east coast. Rates have fallen about 15% in the past, uh, since about Valentine's Day. Right. Um, and what's even more disturbing is that, um, and we shared some cargo metrics data um, on social media a few days ago, and there's also a great article by Greg Miller about this. But um, at this point, China should be exporting about 90% of the pre-Chinese New Year levels. Right. The volumes should have recovered. Instead, it's continued to drop, and now they're only exporting about 50% of what they were before the Chinese New Year. So, and they're, and they're importing even far less than that. So again, this is going to be, you know, in terms of freight movement in the United States, it doesn't necessarily translate immediately. It doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden just right. going to see this huge decline in volume uh, across the country. But it does right. mean that here, as the months progress, uh, we will see less freight originating from the East Coast, uh, the West Coast, etc. Um, you know, we had the big pull forward last year, so we had elevated West Coast volumes. The ports of uh, Los Angeles, Long Beach, are more impacted by this type of uh, activity. Right. Uh, we have seen that volume drop significantly year over year. We're roughly 20 to 30 percent down year over year out of Los Angeles and the Ontario markets, two of the largest markets in the United States for freight origination. Uh, and we're continuing to see that kind of softness. Right. It has not hit the East Coast yet. Uh, with- it hasn't hit the East Coast yet. And I mean, 
you know, I kind of want to be clear. Like, I don't think this is like doomsday for you know truckload carriers. No. So, like, I think this what this really impacts is going to be um, your freight forwarders, your drayage operators, maybe your West Coast intermodal providers, whether that's BNSF and UNP or the um, intermodal marketing companies, right, right, the IMCs. Like, I think once you get into true over-the-road truckload carriers operating in the lower 48, like, the the, the sort of, the, the, the pure Chinese import volumes kind of get diluted yes. across, across your network. It's not gonna right. be as significant. I mean, it's still, you know, it might be 5% instead of 50%, right, right of, of, of your volumes. Um, so, that's something to keep in mind is we think that you know the, the sort of the more diverse your customer base is, the more diverse the commodities you haul are, the more thing, the more you're into things like reefer and flatbed, the less you're going to be impacted by sure. by, by uh, the coronavirus. Um, that being said, data has come out. Um, and reports have come out from epidemiologists that kind of suggest we don't really know where we are in the outbreak. I mean, we'd like to think that we're turning the corner on infections and deaths and that things are getting contained and things should start to recover, but we really don't know. Um, epidemiologists have basically released studies showing that they think that the data that China and the World Health Organization are releasing is is basically simulated. It takes it, it, it fits far too closely to a simulated curve. They said like ninety nine percent. Um, then Which it is almost—it's almost like somebody's tracing the line. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like like they basically said the epidemiologists um, said that based on this, they know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And they said that in real real epidemics and outbreaks, the closest they've ever got to these sort of theoretical curves is about 70%. So 99.9%, far too close. Um, this was published in Barron's, so it's not like some like random conspiracy right. theory. Like Basically, people are just saying that you can't really trust the data, therefore we don't know um, how much progress they're making, therefore we don't know when it's going to end and when the recovery is going to be because um, a lot of a lot of um, truckload carriers have been kind of saying that they expect a stronger second half of the year right. based on a robust snapback in volumes with the theory being that even though um, freight originating in China has been dampened. Consumers in the U.S. haven't stopped consuming, and therefore there will be pent-up demand, and therefore when things return to normal, there'll be a surge in freight. Right. Um, the problem is we we have no idea of knowing when that's going to happen. Right. Uh, I, I guess to your point about the epidemiology thing, we don't know how bad or good this potential yeah. outbreak right. is because right. everybody's just saying it looks fake. <laughs> we do know that, that China has started to look at like uh, measures to stimulate the economy both on the monetary and the fiscal side. So that suggests, you know, that suggests that, you know, I don't know. I, actually, it's, it's hard to know. It's, I don't really want to make a call right. right now, but that's happening. But the data suggests that we are in this you know, significant diversion from what we normally see as a recovery period coming out of China that's right. That's uh, right. in terms of volume. So we're not seeing the volume. It doesn't necessarily mean the truckload volumes in the United States are just going to go away completely. Right, and we should and, and we should say that they're up, um, what, over almost 2%, yeah. 1.19%, right, right now they're relatively strong year over year uh, in terms of our data. Soft, softening kind of sequentially into a February trough, but 
compared to 2019, they're actually up slightly. Slightly up, which is something that everybody somewhat expected this year. We thought we, we couldn't get a lot lower than we did last. I mean, you can always get worse, but we also thought we were seeing a uh, directional shift in the market late last year. Not necessarily the one in 2017-18, right. but certainly more of a uh, you know kind of cratering impact where we're starting to see some trending up numbers. You know, uh, tender rejection rates are starting to somewhat climb. Yeah. Uh, they they're still lower than they were last year, but again, we were coming out of this 2018 yeah, yeah, yeah. superheated period of time. The market had not last quite year, adjusted. Last year, even though they were higher right now mm -hmm. last year they were falling precipitously yes and they're stable to climbing to at least maintaining a level maintaining right around 5.4 percent ish uh which is relatively good five and a half percent uh relatively good for february for sure because in may last year we were below we were below four and a half percent yeah and which right. is traditionally more of a heated time of year um we are seeing some pretty good action in other parts of the country um can you tell us a little bit about the Southeast? Yeah, so the Southeast actually had, you know, and normally we see the Southeast start to pick up in March, uh, late February, early March, but normally we, we don't see this real significant jump in tender rejections or, or capacity tightening until mid to late March. Seeing this activity now uh, gives us a little bit of optimism for the market uh, moving into March or whatnot. Now, we do see some background data on this uh, that's suggesting that a lot of this has to do with flatbed, high side containers, uh, things that traditionally are associated with a lot of construction activity. Right, right. And uh, we just had, what, a 13-year high? 13-year high in building permits um, last month, and that should translate to starts and construction mm -hmm. and money being spent there. So that's, that's really positive. Um, I don't necessarily know why. It, you know, people have been talked about how uh, there's been supply constraints in the housing market for a while, that consumers are confident, but you know, the inventory hasn't been available. Right. Um, so maybe that's starting to inflect. Um, that's a positive sign. I think I think there was good, particularly good data out of the West as well for housing starts. Um, right. So look for that to start to make a difference in flatbed markets in the Western 11. Yeah, I think uh, the West Coast, of course, had the fires last year, which right. really cleared up some some space, I guess, unfortunately. Yeah. But right. uh, yeah, the Southeast traditionally gets going a lot quicker uh, because it warms up there faster, the weather clears up. Uh, we have not had a tremendously tough winter in the north, uh, the northern half of the country, so maybe that'll help kind of spur activity there. Um, but the Midwest is still relatively soft. We did see, interestingly enough, so the West Coast has been soft in terms of volume, like we said. Uh, but we did see some increases in volumes out of the Chicago market. Now, the Chicago market is very tied to that West Coast connection. Yeah. You know, you have a lot of the rail activity go up to Chicago, and then it dispersed, like it gets dispersed, right. like, I guess, spread out yeah. uh, through the region. Yeah. Dispersed, yeah, thank you. Uh, and then, you know, so when we do see the uh, Joliet Chicago markets start to have some increasing volume, that is something to watch, uh, especially moving forward, especially since it's been very volatile in that corridor. Uh, it's interesting too, the way that the rails have kind of started implementing different um, cost control measures. Mm -hmm. I know that Union Pacific, for example, ha is reducing the number of their intermodal terminals in Chicago from right. six to three. Right. They actually already have. And mm -hmm. so it's like when, you know, we, I would think that, when, you know, even though that's, it's, that it technically it's supposed to, um, or ostensibly it's supposed to simplify their operations and enhance fluidity, it seems like if volumes return, it would be tougher 
to rebuild trains and get containers where they're supposed to go, and there might be opportunities for for drainage and trunk load providers. So, uh, you know, that's not really the case now. I mean, intermodal volumes aren't aren't strong right now, but. I think the, the the kind of the uptick in Joliet and Chicago is a kind of a reminder that the interplay between intermodal and truckload in that market might look different later on this year. For sure, especially as people have less options. That means they're going to have to go, uh, you know, especially if they need service concerns and stuff like that. You know, there's not a railhead in every single market. Right. Um, but that's not news. So. You know, looking forward here in the next couple of weeks, you know, the coronavirus thing is, is a thing to watch, obviously. We're seeing volumes drop off there, but the construction activity is relatively positive. Uh, what are some other things that we need to look for uh, coming up in March? Are we, are we seeing any other maybe capacity reduct like supply side reduction activity anywhere I in think, the country? I think we need to keep our eyes on reefer markets. Mm -hmm. um, so starting in Mexico, then going up to Southern California and um, Florida first, you know, going into like, I think like March, April really is, right. is when, when things are bad. I mean, there's different different commodities in Southern California kind of all the time coming up. Right. But, but just to see how that plays out, I know that 2019 was a fairly disappointing produce season um, due to some weird weather patterns. And so it was wet, uh, a lot rainier. Uh, we have not had that same pattern this year, uh, which isn't necessarily bad. But again, if it starts raining here in March and April, that has significant disruptive patterns. Uh, we are starting to see some pickup out of Florida right Dry. now, which is a little bit early. Uh, but they, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff comes in through South, like uh, South American imports and things like right. that, uh, come in through Florida. A lot of those. That's a good point. So, so the thing, the thing about produce season is that it starts in the South and moves upward. And so, right. what you're saying is that we're getting a lot of port activity in right. like Miami, for example, mm -hmm. and other places in Florida from South America. Yeah. So Florida also produces its own, but its produce season typically is somewhere April, Mayish. Uh, depending on the season, and California's really starts kicking sometime in mid to late April into June, uh, which is when the lettuce harvest really starts to kick in. Uh, a lot of the strawberries, I mean, just notice your produce that's yeah. coming off of public shelf or whatever, you'll know uh, which harvest to have. Well, any closing thoughts before we uh, exit for the week? I think that's it. Um, I think I would just, I would. I, I think if, if if I was running a trucking company or brokerage, I'd be overweight to southeast, underweight west coast, right, uh, going into next week. Right on. Well, good stuff. All right, as usual, thanks for joining us this week's On the Spot, and everyone, have a great week.